You're listening to the Maximum Advisor Podcast, a show that empowers financial advisors to set goals, take action, and grow their practice. Your host, Chip Munn, is an award-winning advisor and CEO whose advice is regularly featured in Business Insider, Thrive Global, and The Streets Retirement Daily. Listen in as he sits down with industry experts to talk about building a practice and making an impact. Welcome back to Maximum Advisor. I'm your host, Chip Munn, and today I'm joined by Benjamin Brand. Benjamin is the president and founder of Capital City Wealth Management and the host of Retirement Starts Today podcast. Benjamin, welcome to the show. Happy to be here, Chip. Great. Well, we've met now several times via social media, had a couple of conversations, and honestly, I just think that the way that you have grown and developed your business is fascinating and the kind of things that folks would love to hear about. Tell us a little bit about how it is that you got here. So I live in beautiful Bismarck, North Dakota, which is 33 miles from the geographical center of North America. Nobody would confuse, I love Bismarck personally, but nobody would confuse Bismarck with a financial hub of of the world. I got my start with an insurance company, very traditional, you know, Ed Jones and Ameriprise are the big kind of operators locally, you know, in the Midwest. And I got my start at a similar type company, more of an insurance focus. And I did not like insurance, never did. I was more interested in fee-based planning, wrap accounts, you know, quarterly retainers, things like that. And I fell in love with retirement planning. I felt like retirement planning was the most handholding a client would need when they're learning how to live off their savings. And I kind of asked around to my managers at the insurance company, like, how can I just do this and nothing else? And there really was not a route. I had never heard of what an RIA was, didn't know it any existed. I thought every company had minimum insurance production requirements. And it wasn't until XYPN launched that I found out that there were other options. I, I never was, and I'm not currently a member of XYPN, but listening to their podcast and, and learning motivated me to become the first ever RIA in the history of the state of North Dakota. And I started Capital City Wealth Management on my 33rd birthday, I think it was. So we turned six last month and we're growing rapidly and we're probably going to close the doors to new clients sometime next year. My, my original goal was at age 40 and we're trending in that direction. That's great. Well, I know that you know Meg Bartelt and you know she talked about having a waiting list. And I think that the idea of closing off to new clients is going to be fascinating to people. So tell us a little bit about kind of your practice. So I, I know that you, you know, you and I have talked about some of these things, but you do surge meetings. And, and so you have a particular way that you kind of run things. How is the process at Capital City? So we want to deliver massive value to clients and we want to do that efficiently and at scale. So one way to do that really efficiently is to have the same meeting over and over and over again. So all of our clients are either living off of their savings or close to it. So I thought rather than I had, I had our office manager go back and from January 1st to mid year, add up all the appointments that we had, you know, new prospect appointments, client service meetings, you know, what have you. And it was like 67 appointments. And I said, I had 67 appointments in six months. I should be having 67 appointments in one month and then having five months off. And I can do that. I can have three or four or five or seven appointments in a day because I'm delivering essentially the same thing to every client, right? I'm collecting their taxes. I'm counseling them through Roth area conversions and Medicare planning and charitable planning. 
our clients are living off their savings. So we're using like a, a dynamic withdrawal strategy, if you've heard of the guardrails. And so this is a completely repeatable process. So I said, rather than have 67 appointments in six months, I'm going to have 67 appointments in one month, and then I'm not going to see anybody until the next time. So we do our surge appointments in May and November, where we see every single client or as many as are willing to meet with us. We don't exclude clients from seeing us in those other times, but because we're proactively delivering value, they don't call us. Between May of 2020 and surge, which starts on Monday, we've had seven client appointments. So seven appointments in six or seven months. And that's virtual or face-to-face. So, I mean, we, as we're recording this, we're still dealing with some of the COVID-19, whatever we want to call it, breakdown. So that's virtually or in person, seven in six months. Yeah, I will be virtual someday. We're about to sign a new five-year lease on some new space, but I'd like to be virtual because all of my podcast clients are obviously virtual. I did have one person drive all the way from Texas to Bismarck to meet me, which I was flattered by. And I was going to be really concerned about my ability as a salesman if I did not close that business, but thankfully I did. But other than that, nobody, my podcast clients are never going to come to Bismarck. Why would they? And then I'm glad you're sitting down, Chip. Sometimes when people retire in North Dakota, they want to leave North Dakota because they're sick of shoveling. So they end up in your neck of the woods. So I have even more virtual clients because of that. So at some point, I'd like to be totally virtual. But with COVID now, we are virtual, even though our clients are local. You know what I mean? For sure. Our clients that are local are local, but we meet with them over Zoom. For sure. So you mentioned, and this is really kind of where I wanted us to land, because I'm a big believer in the importance of amplifying your message. You figure it out, and then you need to get it out there. You mentioned several times your podcast, and Retirement Starts Today, you've got a lot of episodes. How did you decide to get into podcasting, and what's the experience been like? So I became friends with Jeff Rose. I launched my firm in 2014 and I became friends with Jeff in 2015. And he had his, his blogger course, which I loved. It's all about SEO and blogging and things like that. Full disclosure, I'm a partner in that program now. But I found out quickly that I'm not a writer. It took me like three months to write kind of like a half ass article about Roth IRAs. And I realized that on a bad day, I'm semi-literate. So I should not be a writer, but I can talk forever. So I pivoted to podcasting. And then I said, these lessons that I learned from blogging are so really valuable. I'm actually getting traffic to my website. I'm getting local people reaching out. How can I apply those blogging lessons to podcasting? And that's what I really credit to all the success of my show. I mean, we have a top 10% most downloaded show in the world because of those blogging lessons I've been applying to podcasting for the last five years. So first, let's talk about the production. So I think that one of the things for advisors is there's a little bit of a fear that it's hard and that it's not something that they can do. Now, as I recall, you started out doing this on your own. Correct. So what was that like? What was it like to kind of get it off the ground for you? So when I first started my firm, I did not have a surplus of money, but I had a surplus of time because I only had a few clients started the firm from not quite scratch. I think we started with about 10-ish, 20-ish million dollars but almost scratched. So I think advisors either have a surplus of money or time. Well, I didn't have any money, but I did have time. So I went on YouTube. I downloaded every Pat Flynn episode from Smart Passive Income that mentioned WordPress or then after the fact, podcast, things like that. I just learned. So I learned how to edit Audacity, Pat Flynn, and also the podcast answer man, Cliff Ravenscraft, both had a step-by-step, click-by-click how to start to do a podcast. So I did it all at no fee at all. It didn't cost me any money which is good because I didn't have any. 
But fast forward five years later, now all I do is press record because sitting in Audacity and clicking through is not the highest and best use of my time. I pay somebody a few hundred dollars a month to edit that and I press record. I put it in my Google Drive and I do nothing else. So your podcast now you mentioned is retail. How often do you do it? What's the schedule like in terms of how often you're producing content now? So I have a weekly newsletter that I started about 70 weeks ago and I have a weekly podcast. And now it took me years to get into the weekly. I did twice a month. I did first and 15th. It wasn't until about probably two or three years ago that I went weekly. I think we're 160 something episodes in, but I deliver every Monday morning. I put out a new podcast. Last year, I played repeats in December, and I'm probably going to do that again this year. So the technical aspect, as you mentioned, either you can pay somebody or you could go to YouTube, or if I'm not mistaken, and we can at least touch on this at the end, you do have a course that teaches people all these things, which I'm a big believer in pressing the fast forward, the easy button where we can, but which is, I guess, kind of a hybrid between money and time. It's not as much as paying somebody to do it, but What's well, it's funny in the course, I specifically don't teach you how to create an RSS feed and upload an MP3. And because I said way smarter people than me already have that in YouTube. What I teach in the course is everything that worked really well for blogging over the last 10 years is about to apply to podcasting over the next 10 years. And I, and I teach you how to take advantage of that. So speaking of, tell us a little bit about how it has, you know, having now done the podcast for several years, moved to weekly. First, did weekly make a big difference in downloads? And what have some of the results been from specifically from the podcast? Weekly is great for me. Advisors that are thinking about starting a podcast, find a publishing schedule that you can easily deliver and then improve over time. The last thing you want to do is to get 35 episodes in weekly, become burnt out, nobody's interacting with you, and then you go to monthly or something. You lose whatever momentum that you had built. So I would start with like monthly. You could even start with like quarterly, then monthly, then twice a month, first and 15th, just like payday works great for financial podcasts. And then monthly, get yourself a proof of concept, minimum viable product, and then improve, 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 improve. So I would say weekly is what I worked into, but it took me years to get there. So what have been the results? So if I'm a financial advisor and I'm wondering whether or not this is a viable strategy for me to grow my business. It's obviously been for you. What has that been like in terms of prospect response? How long did it take to be able to really start to see results? Because from my experience with financial advisors, we can be instant gratification people. And so I, I don't know that this is necessarily the medium for that, but I'm curious about how kind of the arc has been in terms of it helping you grow and have business development. So I would encourage advisors, don't publish episode number one unless you're willing to publish episode 100. I mean, this isn't buy Facebook ads with a scary title, scare someone into a webinar and then scare them out of their life savings, right? That, that, that's not what podcasting is. Podcasting is nurturing. You, you've got to build trust with someone over time. You've got to exceed their expectations through different mediums, what Russell Brunson calls the value-driven sales funnel. And then at some point you can ask for their business and because you've established that trust. So that, that's going to take 100 episodes. You're not going to put five episodes out and have a bunch of millionaires kicking down your door. That's just not the medium. I call it educate and motivate. I don't think the podcasting is the medium for sales. It's for folks who maybe they heard about you or they stumbled on you, and then they're going to listen for a while. Hopefully, lots of folks kind of found us that way. 
this conversation, but it's a slow burn kind of thing. But I think that part of that is setting your own expectations as to what it is that what is the job of work that you have the podcast to do. And I, I think it sounds like you and I agree that it's the educational component. Whenever you're ready, we're here to help. But in the meantime, just steadily delivering information and value that people can easily consume on their schedule. Right. And there's a lot there, right? So you've got to think about the mind frame of someone that finds you for the first time. If I type into Google 401k rollover, I'm trying to learn something, but I'm also looking to take action, right? And that's why those probably $40 per click on that, because that's action. But if I Google the term retirement podcasts, that's something that's completely different. I'm saying I want to learn and continue to learn. And especially in the podcasting medium, I was just attending a session for podcast movement virtual. And it's at 83% of people that listen to podcasts chose podcasts specifically because they're looking to multitask. So if I subscribe, if I'm a you know 62-year-old near retiree subscribing to my show, I'm really saying I want to learn a lot more about retirement and I want to build this show into my life. I publish my show on Monday mornings because that's drive time. You're probably counting how many Mondays you have until you retire, right? I listen to the same podcast every single Saturday when I cut the grass, providing it's not snow on the ground in North Dakota. You're trying to build your content into this person's life so that when they're ready to make that change, maybe their brother-in-law retires or their cubicle mate retires or something happens in their life, you're already in their life. You're already part of their normal routines. Budweiser pays $10 million for a Super Bowl ad because they know exactly where you're going to be and when, and they want to get your message to you. We can produce a podcast for almost no cost and have that same penetration. So you mentioned building the content. So above and beyond the technical, I think the next thing, whether it's blogging or podcasting, but in this case with a podcast, the next thing that I hear as an excuse is, I don't even know what I would talk about. So how is it that you go about building out a content calendar? So now I don't have to worry about content at all because my brain is just kind of trained to hear content. I'll see an article, I'll hear a question, I'll see something I want to comment on. I mean, 160 some episodes in, I could just sit down and press record and I would probably be fine. I do script out my entire show just because my brain kind of, I get off on tangents. So I do script everything out so it's somewhat understandable what it comes out of my head. But I have a, a rule, uh, it's called 5, 10, 15. And if you listen to my episode with Kits, as I talked about this a little bit, but we're in the answers business as financial advisors. People seek us out because they have questions about their investments, they have questions about taxes, Medicare, Social Security, insurance, whatever it would be, right? So we're in the answers business. We just haven't trained our brain to recognize that those questions are also content. So I have this rule called 5, 10, 15, and it measures the frequency of the question. It measures the energy behind a question and allows you to create content that will match that level of energy. So every time you hear a question, you write it down, right? It's, it's really simple. You meet with clients all day. They have questions. You just note how frequently you hear that question. You hear a question five times. That's a new YouTube video or podcast or blog post or Facebook live or whatever. It doesn't really matter what it is. Five, new content. 10, that's going to be a new lead magnet. That's going to be something that is more evergreen, that lives on your website and people exchange their email address for that piece of content. Could be evergreen webinar could be an ebook, could be a PDF, whatever it is. That's 10 questions, 15 questions. That means there's enough energy around a topic that you could probably fill a room with people to talk about. And then you do a webinar, 5, 10, 15. So we do that for a year and you'll train your brain to hear content and then you'll never need to do it again. So you mentioned the 5, 10, 15. And for you, obviously, podcast is a medium that you've 
chosen to take advantage of. When you hit 10, how do you convert folks who've been listening? So, all right, now we've gone through the, I've figured out, I've done the 5, 10, 15, I've started producing. How then do you take that person who is wanting to learn and continue to learn and see them actually eventually darken your door or have your phone ring? Yeah, so you have to exceed their expectations. So if you and I were normal internet marketers, we would create content, right? That's YouTube blog podcast. Someone would visit our content in some way, interact with it, right? So they're increasing their relationship with us a little bit. Then they would download our free resource, right? Increased expectation, increased expectation met. Then they would download a free ebook. And then they would buy an ebook, $8. Then they would buy a $99 course. Then they would buy a $500 a weekend getaway. And then they'd buy a $25,000 inner circle mastermind group, right? There's this very specific thought out upsell every time. And if I trust you with $5 and you exceed my expectations, I'm only going to trust you with $15. Then I'm going to trust you with 50 and you exceed those expectations. And I trust you with my life savings, right? Is this value-driven sales funnel. If I can raise and exceed your expectations every time, it's only reasonable you give me more to trust with, right? Financial advisors don't have that, right? Very few financial advisors have books. Very few have courses. We have, hey, nice to meet you. Can I have your life savings, right? That's not a stair step. That's an elevator shaft, right? That's a big expectation. So we have to think as financial advisors, how can we incrementally increase our trust with someone? So you have a podcast, right? We can do that easily. Then we can have a lead magnet. So we can say, hey, we mentioned planning around Medicare on this show and the Part B premiums. Download my free ebook. It's just a seven-page PDF that you paid somebody on five or $50 to make look nice. Now you have their email address. Now you can nurture them every week with your email newsletter, right? You're exchanging time for knowledge, right? They're signing in and reading your newsletter if you exceed their expectations. Now they're going to attend one of your webinars, right? They're going to say, I'm going to give you an hour of my time. And if you exceed their expectations with knowledge, then you can ask for the business. So you don't want one big step. Hi, nice to meet you. Give me your life savings. You want as many as you can, ideally six or seven or eight steps where they are giving you incrementally more time and you're exceeding the expectations with knowledge. And then it would only make sense that they would take action with you once you've asked them to do so. So you talk to 10,000 people, you get 8,000 on your email list, you get 7,000 that actually read the email, you get 6,000 that, you know, you're just going down, 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 down. And then you get a couple people a month that will take intro calls with you. You deliver a free one page financial plan, and then they become clients. It's interesting because I don't think that we think about it that way in that step by step. I remember as a 22-year-old, when I first got into the business, one of the reasons that my partners and I worked together was the idea of giving a young advisor all of your life savings was scary to a lot of people. And I think that kind of in the process that you described, it gives folks an opportunity to get a little more comfortable. So you've used the podcast to educate and motivate, but you also do webinars. So that's a part of your value-driven funnel. Yep. I want to exceed their expectations. I want them to trust me with more and I want to blow their minds more. So, uh, you know, they're on my email list or they're tuning in with me for 20 minutes every Monday. If I can exceed their expectations with a 20 minute time commitment, then they would be more willing to trust me with an hour for a webinar. And if I exceed their expectations, maybe they'll be willing to trust me over a period of days as I deliver my retire ready blueprint, right? We do a 20 minute intro call. Then we do two Zoom calls where I do a plan for them. You know, if I exceed their expectations with that, then it's very likely that they're going to trust me with their life savings. So you mentioned earlier that somebody drove from Texas. I've got to hear a little bit more about that. 
Yeah, so it's a little weird. And we just have to acknowledge it for what it is. It's a little weird to give someone your life savings that you'll never, ever meet in person. It happens. You have to be a little bit more careful, you know, with it. You've, you've got to be slower. You've got to nurture. You've got to exceed their expectations, all the stuff we've been talking about. But for some people, that's just not enough. And that's totally fine. And uh, this this guy, in, in, a, in a way that only a Texan could could say, he says, I've got to come up to North Dakota and I've got to make sure that you're the real deal. And that's exactly what he did. He drove all the way to Bismarck, North Dakota from Texas. We had a meeting in person and now I'm his financial advisor, hopefully for life. As you said earlier, that would have been a long ride home. If you had not delivered in person, you know, there would have been more than one disappointed person. Yeah, the pressure was on for me. Big, big time pressure, right? I mean, gosh, if the guy doesn't sign with you after driving, I don't know, 16 hours one way, like uh, you, you got to ask some internal questions if, if you can't deliver. But I'm curious, did you ask him how he came to hear about the show? I did not ask him. People find our shows in different ways. I've been targeting the term retirement podcasts for years. Again, that's a lesson I learned from the blogging world that, I'm, that I just applied to the podcasting world. So if you type in retirement podcasts, I'm going to be among the top three or four of the 10 search engine rank page you know, results. Because every time I get a media quote, every time I get a media mention, I always want to link the specific term retirement podcasts to my blog site, retirementstartstodayradio.com. And so anytime someone types in retirement podcast, they're going to find me. Even if I never do anything ever again, they're going to find me for retirement podcast. So that's where people find me. I also guest on other shows on occasion. You know, I've got a lot of financial advisor friends that have shows that are prospect facing and I'll go on their show from time to time. But um, people, I mean, if they find me, if, if you live in Texas and you know who I am, it's because of the podcast. So I don't have to generally have to narrow it down very much. And that wasn't paid advertising. That's just something that having put in, you mentioned Kisses earlier in an earlier episode of Maximum Advisor. He talked about the compounding nature of content. It's because this isn't a Google ad word. This is the fact that over time, you've consistently and intentionally kind of stayed on that same message every time you talk to anybody. I'll never pay for advertising. I'd rather pull up my own toenails. That's a visual. So I think that that gives a good idea of how powerful a medium it could be. So one of the questions that I often get when talking about really blogging or podcasting is, maybe I'm too late. This is something that all these people are already doing, and maybe I've just missed the boat. What are your thoughts on kind of the future of podcasting? Don't start a podcast. You are too late. It makes more for me. No. Uh, the, what's the best time to plant a tree? 20 years ago. What's the next best time to plant a tree? Right now. I mean, I, I thought I was late. The Retirement Answer Man and Stacking Benjamins were already really big shows when I started my show back in October of 2015. But Google has promised to double the podcasting audience. I don't know if they have a time frame, but they said they're going to double it. So wherever it's at right now, over 1 million podcasts in Apple Podcasts, they're going to double it. And Google generally does what they set out to do. So if you would be okay starting a podcast five years ago when the, when the audience size was, was tiny, Google's going to double it from here. So would you buy a stock that's set to double? I mean, yeah, maybe it quintupled over the last five years, but if it was going to double again, would you still buy it? Yeah, no question. I think that the interesting thing is about this and other things that are related, you know, blogging and things, where is that it's very trackable. How driven are you by the numbers? Do you keep up with them all the time? How has that worked for you? Well, as an entrepreneur, 
you know, sometimes we're motivated by wins, right? Like you start taking distributions from your company. You want every distribution to be bigger than the next, right? Every new client, you'd like to be bigger than the next. Every month's downloads, you'd like to be bigger than the next. I know not, of a, not all of us are mentally ill in that way, but entrepreneurs tend to be. But I don't need the show to ever get any bigger. We'll have well over one conversation with a new prospect per week for the whole year. And we're actually trying to have less, you know, we've raised our minimums, you know, created hurdles for people to jump through to, to get an intro call. You know, I'd be fine if the show never grows again. Now, at some point, I'm going to be done growing my practice. And then it would be nice if the show kept growing. I mean, essentially, every month is bigger than the last. But it would be nice if the show kept growing because there's other ways that we'd like to work with the show, advisor partnerships, affiliate marketing, standard advertising, things that we'll do when I'm done growing my firm. So we'll always probably grow the show. And it just kind of grows organically as podcasts become more of a medium that people look to. But I don't need the show to grow again. But but just because I know people are curious and I like to have the ego stroke, we'll, we'll talk to about 40,000 people every month. That's amazing. From Bismarck, North Dakota. And so I think that it just reduces or eliminates the excuse for anybody who's listening to this is, is that talking to 40,000 people a month from Bismarck, it's amazing because it, you know that you're getting reach at that point. Now, neither you nor I makes it like this is easy. What has been your biggest mistake? What's been the biggest error that you've made kind of in the process of starting and running your show? I think two big errors that I made were inconsistency and then not having an email list. So inconsistency would be hit the gates running. I'm going to have a weekly show. All the shows that I listen to are weekly. That means I need to have a weekly show. And I did like two or three or five weekly episodes and I immediately ran out of content because I didn't know how to create content. But I thought for some reason I would be good at it, you know, for no reason I thought I'd be good at it, but I wasn't because I hadn't done it enough. And so I burned out right away and flamed out. And I think I went two or three or five weeks, totally silent. So whatever momentum I had built up was completely gone. And then I said, okay, weekly doesn't work. I'm going to do twice a month, but I didn't put a date on it. I just said twice a month. So I'd, so sometimes I'd have two episodes in two weeks and sometimes I'd go quiet for six weeks and then do two episodes. And there was just no way to build an audience because you're trying to build yourself into their life routine, if you just kind of spraying episodes everywhere, that's never going to work. You got to be super consistent, even if that's only once a quarter, even if that's twice a month. You know, like I said earlier, build into something that you can grow into and improve and increase, right? The other mistake I made is that podcasts are high friction, right? Depending on where and how you listen to your podcast, most people, it's going to be through their phone. But saying click through to the show notes can mean different things in Google or Apple or Spotify or iHeart or whatever it is. And so you need to test your audience through medium other than podcasting. So you need an email list. And I had an email list and I grew it, but I didn't talk to them and I didn't engage with them so that when I had something like a webinar or I had something like an annual listener survey, I didn't get a lot of engagement because they just weren't used to engaging with me in that medium. So it took me like three and a half years to kind of build up to the capacity where I could talk to them weekly. And now I have been for about 70 weeks with our everyday Saturday newsletter delivered promptly every Thursday morning to remind people that in retirement every day is Saturday. And now I have great engagement. So I went from having like 50 people answer my annual listener survey to having hundreds of people. In fact, I had to upgrade my survey monkey because I, I didn't know that if you got more than 100 people, they charge you for it. Well, we had like 200 something this last summer. So you've got to have an email list and you've not only have to collect emails, you have to use that email. So you have to talk to them just like with your show, start monthly, then do twice a month, then do once a week, you know. So Benjamin, we're an action-oriented podcast. And so one of the things that I always like to leave people with is 
kind of a quick win. So if you were an advisor, they've heard this, it resonates, and they think that maybe they want to dip their toe in it or try to figure it out. What's one thing they could do today to get started? That's a fantastic question. Has anybody ever told you, Chip, that you have a fantastic name? You know, the, the name Chip Munn. I feel like if I turned on a Cubs baseball game and they said, announcing from the booth is Chip Munn, that would fit in perfectly. You've got a fantastic name for the medium of podcasting and everything else. I just well, wanted to put you. that out there. But I would say to financial advisors, do not publish episode number one unless you're willing to publish episode 100. Because you know we want to measure downloads and we want to measure new clients that came into the firm from the show. That's all kind of foolhardy with podcasting. You want to measure engagement because we're all about nurturing. So if you're not willing to do 100 episodes just for the love of the game, podcasting is not for you. Go do something else. Go buy Facebook ads. I don't know, steak dinners, whatever you want to do. So to find out if you can love it or not, record three episodes into your phone. It costs nothing. Everybody's got the phone. You can see my beat up Samsung phone right here. Record three episodes. So do the research of what you want to talk about. Interview one of your financial advisor buddies on Zoom, whatever it is. Create three real shows on your phone and then analyze how did you feel about that? Was it above the line? Was it below the line? Did it feel like a real chore? Don't start podcasting. Don't invest the money. Don't invest the time. Don't spin your tires. Do something else. If it was energy generating, if it was above the line and you, and you really look forward to doing number four because you're excited about it and you're thinking about all the authors you want to interview and financial advisor friends and you're thinking about show content, then podcasting might be for you. Then you can move forward with confidence that you can publish episode 100. And I've yet to talk to an advisor that has 100 episodes that isn't fanatical about podcasting and wants to preach and wants to proselytize about podcasting like myself to the world. Well, I think that you nailed it there at the end too, is that podcasting isn't for everybody. The key is, you know, for folks like you and I, we like to talk and it's much easier, even when I write, to talk it out first, transcribe it. I mean, mm -hmm. there, there's a process to these things that if you commit, and so for our listeners, if you commit to what Benjamin said and you just record three, then you'll begin to get an idea of whether or not it's something that you like to do. My wife would rather write. She's been in radio, in TV. She likes to write. And so all of these things are about getting yourself out there, amplifying your message, engaging with people. And if it's not a podcast, what better way to jump right in than to try it in a way that nobody has to hear it but you? So I think that's a great suggestion because this is an investment of time even just having the conversations. And so if you don't enjoy doing it, there are lots of ways to amplify your message. This is just one. It is obviously it's worked great for Benjamin and it's one that I just enjoy doing. So Benjamin, if any of our listeners wanted to reach out or to learn more about you or about your course, what's the best way for folks to get in touch with you? I'd say probably Twitter. I mean, my DMs are open at RetireMeASAP, which is a shortened version of my website, Retirement Starts Today. I'm semi-active on Twitter. I recently had to download a Stay Focused app, which limits my Twitter time to 10 minutes per hour, you know, just because playing on Twitter is not going to get me to my goals. But if you just Google Online Advisor Growth Formula or Advisor Podcast Accelerator, if you put either of those into Google, you'll find me on Teachable. And then we can hang out there. I've got private Facebook communities for both of those for people that have enrolled in the course that I play in on Facebook as well. Well, that's awesome. And we'll put both of those in the show notes. We'll put links to those. But Benjamin, it has been great. I've learned a lot. I've got tons of notes on how I can make this podcast better. And so thank you for being with us. Excellent.
I'm happy to be here. Loved it. Loved every minute. Great. So if any of this resonated with you, if you want to grow your business, if you want to figure out a way to amplify your message, then I encourage you to try what Benjamin said. Pull out your phone and just give it a go and see how it is. It's obviously something that I've come to enjoy. I enjoy spending my time with you every couple of weeks. And so I hope to see you back here again real soon. To download what we believe is the single most important marketing, selling, and positioning tool for your practice, go to MaximumAdvisor.com slash scorecard now. Join the conversation in our private Maximum Advisor Facebook group. And subscribe to this show anywhere you listen to podcasts or at MaximumAdvisor.com.